0: This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar.
1: Thanks for joining us again in 2012 as we once again pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it's only on POTUS, Politics of the United States. This week, exploring the campaign trail firsthand with the leader of NBC's political team, Chief White House Correspondent Chuck Todd joins the conversation. And in case you didn't know, Chuck is one of us, a political junkie through and through. He's a prolific writer in addition to being a student of history and best of all, he's exactly the kind of guy you want to share a beer with at the end of a long week while you swap stories and polyoptics observations and then a refresher on the mission of polyoptics and the team of belmar and king that bring you the broadcast week after week as we enter our second year here on potus josh and i discuss the roads that led us to politics visual stagecraft and public service happy new year josh king it's great to have you here
0: well, Adam, I, it is great to be with you. I know you're in Washington today, and I'm in New York, and uh, you know this is not decidedly where the action is this week, is it?
1: Oh no! Uh, you know, Happy New Year's aside, uh, any journalist worth his salt and political operative or polyoptics technician found himself in Iowa or uh, advancing what is now this uh, great mass exodus to New Hampshire.
0: I mean, so many prep. Previous cycles, whether in campaigns or at the White House, I have had a chance to be in Des Moines uh, and to maybe travel out to any of the 99 counties and make those long road trips over those sort of long farm straight highways. And then, you know, the the voting gets done and you pack up and you fly immediately to Manchester and the, the local staff has been busy working up their events, which have a very different patina. I mean, you go from being sort of diners and farms to sort of the seacoast in Portsmouth or the university towns like Dartmouth or the North Country like Berlin and Gorham and uh, in that in that one stretch of two weeks you see such a different swaths of america and then and then i think as we might hear later from chuck todd you come back to des moines or you come back to manchester and everybody is there and you can barely find a table at a restaurant and you squeeze in and stories fly left and right and it is two of the most fun weeks to be involved in the political process but here we are
1: well uh from an advanced perspective and a polyoptics perspective so much though to, to unpack and to take a look at but uh, as you point out, our, our, our guest here today is somebody who is literally on the ground uh, and has shown us uh, what was going on behind the scenes, right?
0: That's right, Adam. I mean, if you and I can't be there, if we can't be at the, uh, out at the Marriott West Des Moines or in Manchester and Portsmouth, Portsmouth, it'd be great to talk to the one person who is making all of these stops and is intimately connected.
1: We are joined now by one of the busiest men in political news coverage by far. Chuck Todd is the Chief White House Correspondent for NBC News, but if you just stand on that moniker alone, it does not tell you how incredibly influential he is and how busy he is. He's also the co-host of the Daily Rundown on MSNBC. He is the NBC News political director, and he is frequently seen, of course, on the flagship broadcast NBC Nightly News, but a frequent contributor to the Today Show and Meet the Press. He is, at the moment, moving himself around the great state of New Hampshire before the first in the nation primaries. Chuck Todd, welcome to Polyoptics.
2: Uh thanks for having
1: me. Uh, have you caught any rest at all as you come out of Iowa, Chuck?
2: Had the first seven, seven straight hours of sleep last night. It was, uh, it, and it's one of those probably got too much sleep. My body's thinking, wait a minute, I can't operate this
1: way. As a, as a young journalist in Washington, uh, I knew you first as editor-in-chief of the National Journal's hotline and uh, a frequent uh, soundbite machine for young journalists who were looking for <laughs> guidance and insight. Uh, but I, I wonder what kind of challenge you feel like you face, even going through uh, the, the Iowa caucuses where you have been witness so often to these things and you're trying to reconcile the polls and here you are on a night where you think you know what's going to happen and yet it always tosses you a curveball, doesn't it?
2: Well, it does. I mean, that's the beauty of it. But I tell you, you do have to be there. I mean, this was one of those cases if you watched Iowa the last week from Washington, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have felt the... you wouldn't have really see, seen the Santorum surge. Uh, you would have been more shocked less shocked if you're on the ground. I mean, you had this feeling as you were going through the final five or six days that that something was going on, just simply talking to people and seeing where where they were headed. and, And it's, you know nothing beats
0: being there. Chuck, uh, we'll get more to the work of covering this campaign in a second, but if you think yeah. about the way that the cycle goes and you think of maybe the Iowa straw poll as the first time that reporters gather en masse to follow these candidates beside the debates, and right. then you get that week prior to Iowa, and then this week prior to New Hampshire, as a as a reporter working with your colleagues both on the air, writing, and also gathering in the bars and restaurants, c- contrast the experiences of of Des Moines and the wide expanse of Iowa versus the sort of verticality of New Hampshire and your ability to sort of (laughs) circle back to Manchester at the end of the day
2: well it's funny you just said I was just bringing that very very point up we were just talking about that earlier about how you know there's very few two hour two and three hour drives when you're in New Hampshire unless you're gonna really commit and go to Berlin and I'm sorry not going to Berlin. I saw you just uh, uh, retweeted
0: you know. Alex Moe's uh, tweet from Berlin. Exactly,
2: Alex. She's up there. She's doing the notches. Um, not to say you don't want to do that every now and then, but uh, what I like about uh, the Iowa experience is that there are—it's far. You know, you can you can drive just far enough to where where I always say you get out of the the, go, the golden circle of Des Moines and avoid um, too many national reporters. You know, we got there a little bit earlier than everybody else did, and that, I'm very thankful for that. So the first four or five days, I felt like, okay, it was just me and like three other national reporters, and so it wasn't it wasn't uh, as difficult finding islands. In the last three or four days, both in uh, in Iowa, it's always harder to actually find the islands because then you get the political tourists, you get a massive national media uh, explosion uh, that that comes into town, and then is sort of harder to to get to actual voters here in New Hampshire, I find, uh, in that week between uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. But I'll say this about New Hampshire folks. They ask more biting questions of the candidates than Iowans do. Iowans are pretty polite.
0: In that world of sort of expectations, and you don't know where the week in Iowa is going to end up, you had four candidates vying for superiority and a few others still very much in play is there a sort of letdown getting to Manchester when sort of the inevitability of a Romney triumph is clear it might be clear to people who watch this from the very beginning but to but to the excitement level of of consuming what you and your colleagues put out do you feel a bit of a letdown that maybe the the uh, run-up toward Christmas and the fact that anything was possible is now more inevitable
2: you know I, I thought i was going to from getting here uh and i'm finding it not to be the case i mean i guess one reason is is you the experience of new hampshire is what it always closes i don't care who the front runner is it always weirdly closes at the end in some form now what's the definition of closing in this case i mean when romney's got a 30 point lead you know winning by 15 should be a, a an impressive victory but you know, you could argue that second place means something, particularly if it's a Santorum, and particularly if he gets to twenty five. You know, if he got to if it's forty twenty five on Tuesday, well then, you know, this is a guy who was literally sitting at four percent uh in New Hampshire polls the day before the Iowa caucuses. Uh twenty one point growth or something like that, twenty point growth in a week, uh, tells you that there's something going on. And so yeah, I get it. I hear what you're saying, but the experience in New Hampshire—the doubleheader debate weekend that we've got coming up—and the fact that New Hampshire voters have always shown that they sort of they sort of almost like to uh, respond in a way that uh, confounds us—that sit here and cover them.
1: Chuck, uh, you know, Josh and I both spent uh, time managing production for uh respective presidents of the united states and no stranger to political events and the uh the theater of politics a lot of the greatest color i i get on twitter often comes from you you put a note out the other day uh on twitter or, or i guess it was just this week about the event that you attended with john mccain and oh my Mitt God. Romney, and I, I, staff should be fired. That's what I want to talk about for a second, yeah. because you know, on on day to day journalism, uh, you you bring Americans the headlines and help people understand it. But as an observer of politics, especially at the ground level, help people understand how these things translate. Not only in the final mile uh, when it comes through on a Chuck Todd piece on Today Show or or even the nightly news, but from a local perspective. What's it like on the ground when it goes bad? And and help us understand what didn't work uh, on this event where Mitt Romney enjoyed the endorsement of the former Republican standard bearer, John McCain.
2: Well, you know, the minute we walked in, it was surprisingly not that full. And then it took a while for, and then suddenly you saw a busload of people come off. They were younger kids. And it started to fill up. Then, all of a sudden, a row of chairs that were meant for supporters were suddenly given to us and the media to use. You know, so you, you had little things like that. And then they came out, and they had this, you know, boom, and all the music ready, and they, they literally re-put in all the new, uh, all the old music that McCain used to use, you know, the theme to the Top Gun, you know, uh, Highway to the Dangerous, and all that stuff to, to introduce, and it was tepid applause. And you sat there and said, huh, that's weird. This is, you know, McCain's still got a following up here. You know, he's still got a core group of supporters um, that would easily um, show up if they were given, given, uh, given time. Well, then the questions start coming, and then you realize, you know, the first guy being an occupier. all right, the Occupy people are they're pretty aggressive, around. Uh, I've noticed, over the last week. Uh, and it's been, uh, you know, that, that's almost been par for the course. But then four or five other questions happened, and uh, they were all combative or argumentative, and not just in the New Hampshire primary voter argumentative way, which is you know can be uh, a good thing and can be But but in a, did you, you guys even you pack this thing with supporters? And afterward, it was just uh, the Romney campaign. You know, some of the senior staffers they were sort of head, scratching their heads was clear they slapped this thing together and then all of a sudden you start putting it all together and you think and i know you guys know this that sometimes you have to slap together an event on 12 hours notice and that's what this event had the feel of so it makes you wonder okay so they had this mccain endorsement in their back pocket here you you start connecting the dots. they probably had the mccain endorsement in their back pocket they were trying to figure out when to use it and as their own tracking showed that mccain that sanforum probably had a 30 percent chance of winning uh, they figured, well, we better roll it out in New Hampshire. Uh, that That's the best place to use it. This is the result of how all that would have happened. That, and yeah, I can't get anybody to confirm that version of the story, but nobody's like pushing back on. It.
0: Right, and I imagine as I think back to sort of major endorsements from the previous cycle, when either Teddy Kennedy endorsed Barack Obama in Maryland in front of a huge prepared crowd when Hillary Clinton endorsed Obama in unity, New Hampshire a huge element of Stagecraft and probably also negotiation and planning behind the scenes of both camps and it seemed to me as I was watching the video That there was probably a major requirement on the behalf of the McCain camp that you that you the Romney people who are just beginning to create a sort of presidential aura for your candidate must now backtrack to the more downscale town meeting format that yeah. became McCain's comfort comfort zone in two thousand and eight.
2: Right. No, it was a McCain town hall. It was done as a McCain town hall, theater in the round, surrounded by the folks, all of that stuff. And it was, you know, the guys are unkind. I mean, they have no chemistry. Right. They just don't. And it just showed, you know, so that was hard enough, but get, they wanted to try to create some sort of vibe there, and, you know, look, I get what they were doing, but boy, I you said to yourself, this is the Republican nominee, this guy, this is the team, you're like, they're not there yet.
1: Exactly, and and I think that that kind of insight, and, and your ability to be there, to be able to put down the shoe letter and see it, uh, makes a big difference for people who follow you, uh, and, and sort of get insight that no one else can have if you just haven't been able to, to give the context to it I remember Josh uh, during the 2008 campaign when I was still in the Bush White House and it, it came down on high that uh, President Bush was going to have a rose garden uh, ceremony with John McCain and that we were going to use two presidential lecterns two blue gooses Chuck do you remember this?
2: Uh, I do remember the event. Yeah, when it was it was, it was <laughs>
1: lackluster, in what dominated the headlines. But it was that, meant
2: to be, right? I mean, it was meant to be. Although it ended up sending the message that I'm sure nobody wanted sent, which was, "Well, it's a reluctant endorsement McCain doesn't want to highlight it." Blah blah blah. And it These
1: left you make, with this image of the two men, uh, yeah. both behind presidential lecterns at the White House, and they spent, I think, uh, and uh, this is this is easily sort of bears out so much energy trying to distance themselves from that event and from President Bush all the way through uh, the convention that, it, to my mind, when we when we were asked to set it up and do it, I knew it was a bad idea. I voiced it. Uh, but it, it, it also came to energy. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of energy there. And sometimes for political reporters, again, the primary conduit for Americans to sort of get a beat on, A, what the news is, but the color behind it, if it's not there and it's not palpable for you, it sure isn't going to translate for the rest of the nation.
2: Meanwhile, you know, it's interesting, you talk about the sort of the color and the sort of different campaigns that have it that have advanced, maybe don't do it well, or don't have it. What's been interesting, I've been following Santorum all day today, and he's still, his campaign is still adjusting to actually getting crowds. So they end up in now places that are a little bit uh, overflow you know they, he was doing a lot of diners in, in Iowa so they, he you know if he wants to do five events he does three town halls plus a couple of stop bys well you know you're really not jamming up these diners and these coffee shops which is good news for San Juan but they just they haven't been able to. They, they don't they don't really have the infrastructure yet to to adjust and frankly they probably need to pretty quickly
0: before we get into uh, sort of the the background of, of what brought you to New Hampshire Chuck maybe one more comment on the one candidate who yet has had any moment really in the spotlight except for his his failed polyoptic announcement which is uh, former governor John Huntsman he's put all of his cards into New Hampshire he's spent a lot of money both from his campaign and the pro Romney's and the pro Huntsman super PAC do you because we saw in Iowa so many of the Republican field have their months in the Sun do you see a week in the Sun at all for Huntsman or is his moment passed
2: well, I hesitate to, to rule it out just because, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to missing the uh, uh, to missing the Herman Cain surge. Um, but, uh, it, you know, in all seriousness, I, I don't think so. And I think it's him. I think he's had a few shots, and I've been surprised at how many times he's whiffed at debate. Mm-hmm. He's had opportunities to. You know, if he was going to be the maverick, right? If he was going to try to pull a McCain and be the maverick, be the straight talker, well, then do it. And don't just do it at a little town hall in New Hampshire. Do it when you have your few moments in the sun. And I sense in him what I sensed in him, what I feel like you get from Rick Perry, which is this is a guy who has talked into running. This isn't a guy who has had a burning desire to be president. And I tell you, the one thing I've learned, and I'm sure you guys believe this as well if he, if the candidate themselves just hasn't been dying to be president their whole life then it'll, the campaign will come apart at some point I don't know when, I don't know how but it will because it, 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 that, that means they'll not be able to handle a rough patch or they'll not be able to handle uh, the long days or the long hours or they'll just fail to prep themselves or they're just not natural talent at it, and won't figure out how to how to make up for that. And I just get the sense with Huntsman that I don't know if he wants it bad enough.
1: It's very interesting that you say that, because one of the things I wanted to know from you, uh, the polyoptics of what I think was just this horrible moment uh, on uh, the night of the Iowa caucuses where Rick Perry stands up, pulls out a letter, reads it, it's yeah. fairly emotional to him, and caps it off with this I'm not sure I'm gonna go back to Texas and see if there's a, a path forward which left everyone with this perception that he wanted them to have which was that he's seriously thinking about throwing in the towel and then less than twenty four hours later uh, it's it's sort of the schizophrenic we're on our way to South Carolina this is this is just horrible stagecraft for a presidential candidate isn't it
2: no it is and it you know how has he not sent the message that he's not you know that he's not into this that you know, unless it's easy, he's not gonna do the hard work. So I, I will be surprised if if he even gets that much traction in South Carolina. I mean sure he might spend a few dollars, but you know, I, and, and look I know the Romney people are ecstatic that Perry's gonna go. Anything split up the vote down there. But voters voters know. Voters know. They have a they have a pretty good sixth sense about this stuff and you'll only see his support continue to drop, I guess.
0: I found, Chuck, in the past uh, few days of this week that your uh, transition from Iowa to New Hampshire and the reporting that has been done sort of defines really the role of the new uh, White House correspondent, political correspondent uh, for the major networks. I mean, you went from being on the air late at night recapping the results uh, after Iowa to uh, coming to New Hampshire covering the Romney McCain endorsement then sitting down or actually standing up in what looked like a holding room with McCain for an extended interview some of the highlights of that interview got onto Nightly and Today Show and Morning right. Joe, but then when you had your your own forum and the Daily Rundown, you could play it in length, and then the whole thing was available online. Now, this is a very different role than uh, David Gregory, David Bloom, Brian Williams, Andrea Mitchell, sure. when they are the chief White House correspondent. We're, we're We're just curious about how you are managing to fit it all into a 24-hour day.
2: Well, I mean, it's sort of a... I mean, one of the things is, you know, it's not just multitasking, but you also, you know... It's using doing one thing and thinking about multi-platforms, right? So in the case of the McCain interview, you know, in a weird way, also, it helps you land interviews because you can say, hey, I can get it, say, in three or four places, you know, and I can promise you, and I can tell you how many campaigns these days are happy that, you get, that you'll that you run an unedited version somewhere. That's right? right. You know, it takes away the mystery of editors and the mystery of, of, well, you know, we took that out for this or that, you know, and they can claim that you're being biased, so it's like, look, it's all there. If you want to decide to carve it up and see that, think we carved it up the wrong way. Well, look, you can you can make that judgment, but you know because we're going to give you uh, we're going to give you the raw material. So that that's one thing. Um, as far as sort of how that to me that you know it, it's the pol you know the politics of policy fights and the politics of campaign fights uh, they're the same thing. They're related. They're interconnected. And, and you know I think it makes. Each job easier to be able to sort of do both. If that makes sense uh, because that that's sort of how Washington works, and it may not be what some people want to hear. You know, but it's like, "How do we to get the politics out of Washington?" Well, then you know, let's stop being a Democratic Republic. You know, I mean, that is what Washington's about, for better or for worse, and it's just about you know, you just want a, a clean fight on, on the political front, whether it's on the campaign front or on a policy argument.
1: You know, Chuck, I spent uh, years at ABC News, uh, producing and running the Washington office of Good Morning America, and later this week with with George Stephanopoulos. And I remember in two thousand and seven uh, when you when you took over uh, the duties at the White House uh, and um, you know, becoming NBC News political director. I thought to myself, "There is no way that the Chuck Todd I thought I knew." was going to be able to do all of this, and yet you've done even more. And the the leadership that you, you have within the network is the stuff that's so striking to me. We talked to Antoine Sanfuentes, the Washington Bureau yeah. Chief, and your colleague a little bit about it. You guys seem to have... Uh, a a great family uh, environment there where everyone is working together, and and because of that, you have the ability to crank out the daily rundown, to be able to serve in a leadership role uh, and edit first read, and you get all of these little pieces of... added value across these platforms but if you're if you're out there and you're looking as we often do for these elements of polyoptics this ability to read us in behind the scenes and get a feel for what you saw and in in some of the background uh, information that you gather i don't see other people effectively doing that so that's a big compliment to you but as you look across 2012 are you guys doing even more? Are there more innovations that you're looking at to bring all of us on the trail and sort of benefit from what you say day in, day out?
2: Well, one of the things, I mean, look, we have we have some advantages that are just we can call them lucky, you know, uh, or, or, or having a cable channel, having a website that has tremendous traffic that based on MSA, right? MSNBC. com, uh, you know, there's basically two major web portals out there, right? There's Yahoo and there's MSN. And it allows that. So, I mean, we're sort of, we, you know, have that cable channel. Our competitors don't. So here we have this sort of two things we're able to do. So we're able to, quote, save money and provide multiple platforms and sort of, you know, take, uh, use our resources in a way and spread them, spread them out. So, for instance, you're asking about new things that we're doing. I mean, one thing that we have this cycle that we didn't have last cycle so is with our embeds this time they can bring everything they cover back live via this live view technology now most of the networks have it we have every single one of our embeds with a backpack of this stuff this live view which is essentially seven mobile phones uh, that help pipe back in the video and the sound and you know if you look carefully you can tell that you know it's not the it's not it's good quality it's certainly not what somebody would say is uh, old-fashioned broadcast quality, but I can tell you, we're putting that stuff on broadcast now too. It's not bad enough that you would be uh, that that you would think it doesn't. You can't use it on air. And so, one of the things we're trying to do is like, okay, how can we sort of see Spanya a little bit? You know, since we have all this raw material, but we don't get to share it. So, we're trying this NBC Politics, you know, with NBCPolitics.com, sort of becoming our our political web portal. Is having an app that would allow you to just watch a live event. Oh, I want to I want to see Santorum on the stump today, so I'm going to just watch Santorum on the stump today. And, you know, we know, really, there's only C-SPAN doing that. I know CNN's trying to do something. Well,
1: let's not leave POTUS out of that, because I heard you talking about it. And I thought to myself, gosh, he's extolling the virtues of, no, a, of our right, channel, too, right. because it's something we, we strive hard to sort of C-SPAN them a little bit. Just let's open it up and a little bit more unfiltered. It's there. Why not share it, it right?
2: Exactly. It's there, and, you know, what we're hoping is you bring a little bit of uh, you know, a few bells and whistles, make it a nice-looking app, download it on your iPad, watch it. You know, keep it organized in a way, um, and you know, make it. I mean, I think the hard part of all of this is making it easy to access, right? Where it doesn't feel or easy to use for the for the for the average junkie, and I think that that's always been a little bit of the challenge on all of these uh, on all of these new things. And so, you know, we're going to do the same thing with putting all the stuff that all the technology that we're messing around with. On election nights, you know, uh, whether it's doing the what-if game on 270 electoral votes, all that stuff, to try to throw all that stuff in there, too, and, you know, just to put it all in one place, right, which is the old hotline motto, one-stop shopping when it comes to politics, but just
0: doing that in a way that
2: just takes everything that we're bringing in and just makes it available to everybody.
0: And cost effective to gather and distribute as well. I mean, it, it always was uh, frustrating to me working in the Clinton White House, where we would plan el- elaborate events either in the continental 48 U- U.S. Yeah. or uh, or overseas, some of these more exotic places that we went to, like China and Vietnam and, right. and Russia and more remote places. And, you know, you, you would watch the White House produced feed of the news coverage. And in some of those days, when you knew Knew that, with all the security and military personnel that was being brought to bear to actually make this moment happen, that the most Americans would actually get to see would be maybe 15 seconds of a voiceover if it wasn't deemed all that newsworthy. Well, necessary. I can tell you
2: this on the on the foreign trips, this is still this is still an issue. I think the Obama White House would tell you that. I could say, I mean, simply a there's there's the interest issue, right, which is. The interest in foreign coverage is, is, is simply waning. Even with, the, you know, especially after first years of presidencies, I think there's always interest when presidents go overseas. First time presidents do stuff overseas, there's interest, and in then that, that loses that that wanes. But also, you know, it's just the time zone. So, what if you can bring it live at three o'clock in the morning Eastern time? time. You know, and I think that that's got to be frustrating as well. I think for for for, uh, for the folks that work in the White House.
1: Chuck Todd, uh, Chief White House Correspondent for NBC News, uh, joining us here on Polyoptics. I want to Take a turn towards the personal for a second, uh, just to give people a little bit of an insight into you. You know, beyond you, the professional. Uh, you're married. You, you have a, a couple of children. You're, you're part of our community here in Washington. As you work so hard and are responsible for the uh, mentoring a lot of younger folks uh, within your network and delivering against all of the different platforms. How are you able to, uh, through this experience, continue to, to stay grounded and stick with the kids and, and be able to be a part of that life too? Is that a stretch for you every day to work on that?
2: It's hard in election years. You know, four years ago it was very difficult. Uh, and it was, especially when you're the new person at the network. You know, uh, it's, it's um, as I figured out how to manage my time better, it's better uh, this cycle. And, you know, look, it's, if I can come home for two days I figure out a way to come home for two days you know I mean I think that that's that's you know number one I'm try, you try to be better about doing uh, what I always say is okay if you work seven straight days we'll go take a three day weekend you know go to, to spend time with the family whether it's my I just, this is either for myself or for my own colleague that you know I oversee who have kids you know you sort of there is this and you know it's both i would say the campaign lifestyle and the washington media lifestyle uh, you can get in this bad habit of being a workaholic to the point of, of abusing yourself and you know that's it's you sit there and you say to yourself you're going to balance it you're going to balance it but you really got to remind yourself to balance it i mean i, I don't i don't think it's easy um, you know and good news is your kids will remind you especially now i have a 7 year old my, my oldest is 7 She's like, so why aren't you coming home tonight? And, you know, it's hard to tell a seven-year-old if you don't have a good reason not coming home that night.
1: But the seven-year-old uh, can always turn on the television and get a beat on where Dad
2: is. Yeah, she yeah, she can, but that doesn't impress her anymore. Uh, it's never as easy, you know, other than she does like the time zone game. That's always fun for her. Okay, so what time is it where you are? Why am I seeing you on TV now and I'm talking to you? What's going on there? always a fun little That's game, so precious. Uh, I love it. Uh, that, that, that we play. But the other thing is, and uh, in this new day and age, you talked about mentoring the younger folks with the embeds. The one piece of advice I give is sort of counterculture, I think, to the entire campaign lifestyle, and you guys might gasp at this, is I tell them, the only way to pull this off, don't drink. You know, so don't drink on working days. Don't drink on school nights. Well, is isn't isn't that great that advice?
1: I mean, I, I, having been a journalist and been out there, I know that there's a penchant that we all have to sort of want to mix, you know, work hard, play hard. But working hard these days is is redefined, and there's very little room for playing hard on work days.
2: It is. I don't want to sound like some sort of teetotaler, and that doesn't mean I don't enjoy uh, my share of beer, particularly on a Friday night and a Saturday night. But you, you the one thing about these hours, you can't do it. You can't rest, you, you know the way you can't be sharp on air you can't be sharp off air uh you, you know if you're if you're dry i you know you hear these great stories my favorite thing is you know i was having dinner with brokaw came in to check out iowa last week and you know and they're all telling stories boy you know chancellor used to throw back the martinis doing this and you know out here in New hampshire you know the old famous hotel the, um get this right the wayfair which they're tearing down Believe That's it or right. not. um where on any given night at 7 o'clock, every political reporter and political consultant with their self were already drunk.
0: Jack Jermond um, was still drunk from the previous day. day.
2: Yeah, they were drunk from the previous day. Right? <laughs> they had two deadlines a day. And it's like, I, you know, what is interesting is that the lifestyle these days, not a, most, most of the, of the successful uh, both uh, campaign folks and media folks uh, have learned to uh, drink a lot more club soda.
0: Chuck, coming up through uh, National Journal, the hotline, working with Legends like David Bradley, Doug Bailey, uh, and really being a student of history, you, you're, you're in many ways a bridge to uh, an, an era when you, where you can understand what Brokaw is saying, and you know when he refers yeah. to Jack Drummond being at the Wayfair. You kind of know what that means going back to the boys on the bus. Talk about the embeds and whether you think that they're get, they read enough history or they come with enough perspective to see that the 2012 race may have parallels to the right. 76 race in a way that right. only you might still know.
2: Well, you know, I mean, one of the things, I gave them, I gave them uh, reading assignments when they when they got the gig. I made them read. I always make any new person that works for me in politics, I did this online, I said, just read these two books, and if you don't enjoy them, leave the job. Uh, and that is Richard Ben Kramer's What It Takes and Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. You know, I always say they're sort of, they're, this, they're the same book, but they're also oh different. Yep. right. They're sort of doing the same thing, but very differently. And if you enjoy it and can't get enough of it, uh, when you read those two books, then you know, a you're made for this. But b it actually teaches you a little bit something, a little bit of something about uh, being on the road covering a presidential campaign. And so, you know, that's the hardest part. I mean, I think it's everybody will always say, and I, and I hate. I hate when people used to say this to me. You know, all these young folks are in a hurry, um, but that's the thing. You want to tell them, don't be in a hurry. Just keep, you know, just digest everything that's in front of you. There'll be so many more campaigns, and don't think everything you're covering right now, um, it'll that it you'll you'll never have another chance at doing it.
1: Chuck Todd, uh, chief White House correspondent for NBC News. Uh, Uh, a jack-of-all-trades, politics, and master of almost all of them. Uh, We appreciate you joining us on Polyoptics and keeping us up-to-date and sharing with with us, with everyone who's got your Twitter handle, uh, to to know what you see is what you share, and and you do it selflessly. We appreciate you being here with us on Polyoptics.
2: Well, I I can tell you this, guys. Nobody does good at dance anymore. I swear this is a dying art. Uh, And by the way, speaking of sharing, I'm sure you both are on this crazy, what's this secret White House secret X White House advanced staff serves. yeah I want to see that shared more and more I'd be curious to see how they're uh, mocking how bad some of these events are I get, I get a lot
1: of it from uh, from the folks that I spent so much time with uh, in the Bush administration where you know I felt like and I learned so much from them I've learned a lot from Josh as well in his time in the Clinton administration but it is a dying art and it is one that uh, I mean, just to, to we're, we're trying to wrap the segment up with you, but I want to I know, share with I people. No, that's yeah, all right. It, it, it's important because, you know, the, that kind of uh, lackluster advance work, that idea that uh, these images and and the energy and the theater of politics will translate uh, was was on full display with the horrid, Uh, conception of how the president would address his uh, followers in Iowa the other night during this sort of Skype uh, address where the president looked like the camera put on 15 years. He looks like somebody locked him in a closet with a flag behind him. The audio was horrid. And I I wonder sometimes, even on on the campaign front, do you appreciate that he is the president of the United States and that everything he does has to come with a presidential level uh, of advance and follow through, because you know what happens when uh, the audio doesn't work? It's not like Chuck Todd having to dance uh, when he's on live TV. You're a pro. Not that the president's not, but you don't right. want the commander-in-chief to have to sit there and apologize to people. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
2: Well, and I would love to sucker Josh into this conversation, but there, the I, I'm, I'm waiting to find uh, a good visual event. That has been done by the president of the
0: United States. Oh, yeah. Chuck, I, I don't need to be suckered. Uh, <laughs> He's honest about it because uh, uh, we talk uh, about it all the time. Uh, uh, you know, and and we could do a pa- you could do a package about it for nightly one day because I I think that they went from a a really beautifully packaged and marketed 2008 campaign to not really figuring out how to do the president thing visually as well as they could. And uh, Adam and I talk about it all the time. I mean, to to your library of. Hunter Thompson, uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, and Richard Ben Kramer, What It Takes, The Advance Man would add to those two volumes Jerry Bruno's uh, The Advance Man, talking about doing it for Jack Kennedy in 1960, and, you know, when, when also a young advanced person has the chance to work with a Jimmy King at one of the conventions at the podium or learn from a guy like Mort Engelberg, producer of Smoking the Bandit yeah. movies, you understand that this is an, an art form. This is about uh this is about the human drama of of the campaign trail. This is about angles and lighting and sound and motion and props. Right. It's all about movie making that people today just don't understand.
2: I tell you you just brought up Jimmy King and I can just tell you I can't tell you. At least two funny stories Brokaw told me at dinner the other night about Jimmy King, but I'll leave it at that. But when you work on the on Team Kennedy, you have good stories.
0: You certainly do. All right, we will
1: be back in touch across the uh, the 2012 political year. Chuck Todd, thanks for being on. All by right, you guys,
2: out. you got it. Thanks for us.
1: Josh, a belated Happy New Year to you. I am really excited about the energy that we bring into this year on our show, Polyoptics, and want to give folks a better chance to know who we are and why we are so uh, interested in the theater of American politics. Uh, Iowa and New Hampshire are running through the political bloodstream of America right now, but it's the hard work of what goes on behind the scenes that can make or break a campaign.
0: That's right, Adam. I mean, think about it. Uh, a little over a year ago, uh, this, ge- this little weekend gig of ours started. We created, I think, 39 episodes last year. And if you go to the website, www.polyoptics.com, you see the roster of incredible guests that we were able to have on in, in year one. And here we begin year two. And uh, it just is, I think, a unique broadcast in the fact that you and I actually found each other, I think, late in 2010, realizing that the work that you had done for the Bush administration was exactly what I had done for the Clinton administration and yet we were separated by uh, George Caudill who did it after me for Clinton and Scott Sforza who did it uh, before you for Bush and we realized uh, you know separated by you know several years or so we are our, our instincts and sensibilities and and visual aesthetic was exactly the same
1: that's right And, and you and I have built a very strong friendship over the last couple of years uh, and 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 that has been tended to, and and sort of grown around what you speak of, this shared sensibility and same in the same passion that we have for politics. I want people uh, who listen to this show to understand a little bit about who Josh King is. I mean, he is a native son of Massachusetts who grew up in in a house that appreciated uh, American history, and it was something that caught your attention and sparked your imagination and really set you on a path early on, Josh, that that you pursued vigorously and, and ultimately to the highest heights of politics.
0: Well, yeah, Adam, and, and you know, I think you had the same thing as well growing up in Washington in the house that, that George Bush had lived in, so both of us were surrounded by history. In my case, and I don't know, Adam, if it was sort of a mild case of dyslexia or whatever, but you know, I didn't read uh, as quickly as other kids did, and I was drawn to the visual. And in Massachusetts, uh, when you have a place like the Freedom Trail in Boston or Lexington and Concord or Bunker Hill, I mean, you can go to these places and see history, uh, and you just feel the dirt, and you can feel the dirt of history. And then you uh, go to these exhibits like they used to have in, in in Charlestown Massachusetts the whites of their eyes that brought the Battle of Bunker Hill to life and I had a dad who was uh, who is uh, also a student of history loved to take me on these explorations and expeditions so I sort of created this love of American history just because of the the drama of it and the color of it and then you know reading picked up and I started delving into into a lot of uh, real history but um, and then, if you think about the, the late 70s and early 80s when I started to come of age a little bit, uh, you know, I was fascinated by what Jimmy Carter represented as a different kind of politician coming after, uh, after the Nixon years. And then I was captivated uh, by this person who was out of power, the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan, and the way that Mike Deaver realized that uh, it wasn't so much about what the candidate was always saying but it was about how Hugh Sidey wrote up the color every week in Time Magazine how Diana Walker or uh, David Hume Kennerly or Dirk Halstead photographed Reagan and sometimes it ended up in the cover sometimes it ended up two photos wide inside the magazine and it brought this institution of the presidency to life and I never would have thought That coming out of Swarthmore College and thinking about going to Wall Street I might instead have a chance to work on a political campaign but then uh, one of my professors was a guy named Bob Edgar he was the congressman uh, from one of the eastern districts in Pennsylvania he ran for Senate against Arlen Specter he lost and then he took over the uh, fundraising apparatus for a presidential candidate in 1987 named Paul Simon senator from Illinois and Simon was always going to be one of those favorite son candidates in Iowa and maybe he could have caught fire but he gave me a chance to come to w- move to Washington and then move up to New Hampshire to be this uh, have this weird title of director of scheduling and advance and I found in this work of advance work that finally in American politics they actually pay your way to go explore parts of the country that you'd never seen before check into hotels in these weird towns, meet people who had the best of intentions and would take you in and treat you like a son, and you'd learn so much about America just with the mission of putting on a political event.
1: It's fascinating to me hearing you tell that story, especially the bit that you mentioned at the beginning, because it's something that we share, and I don't think I ever uh, appreciated it, or understood that it may have uh, been a, a very early visual beginning for me as well. Uh, really slow uh, to pick up reading and uh, just a slow reader uh, in formative years in my life. And I was very, very focused. On television news we had yep. some neighbors in Washington DC who were local broadcasters and they were friends of my parents and I went to school in Washington uh, with the sons and daughters of United States congressmen and senators and didn't appreciate politics for what it was but appreciated that their parents were involved in something that was very important And as I got a little bit older and shared this this focus on the news with my mom uh, and we'd watch together every night uh, Peter Jennings was our broadcaster of choice in the Max Robinson
0: Frank Reynolds
1: absolutely Uh, I decided early on that this is what I wanted to be and this is what I wanted to do and as I followed that passion for journalism and uh, I realized that it was really focused on being a broadcast journalist Josh and It was somewhere in my early career as a journalist that I understood uh, finally the difference between being a television producer and being a journalist. As you heard, uh, Chuck Todd who's a journalist first, last, always. Uh, Adam Belmar was a television producer. Of course, I I was a journalist as well, but it was the idea that there were so many moving parts that required attention. Leadership was required to coalesce uh, folks around a vision and then execute against it, and then learn from the mistakes and even take a good situation and say, hey, how can we make this better? Landing like you did uh, on the ground running, uh, trying to set up political events was the charge that I had to keep as a young journalist trying to put together live shots for good Good Morning America, or in the White House at the State Department, at the Department of Defense around 9-11 and attacks on the United uh, States, speaking with the, the highest leadership uh, of, of, of American political life uh, required great flexibility. Uh, you never knew what was going to happen and what the timing and the challenges would be. But I, I quickly developed this reputation for being someone who could handle uh, those kinds of uh um, variables and and, and keep a good uh, head on his shoulder and and lead people to a resolution that was acceptable on all sides. And it was just serendipity that I ended up moving over to the Bush White House. And every time I hear you talk about your experiences from the campaign trail, uh, the times that you were with folks like Joe Lockhart uh, in in dealing with the uh, Mike Dukakis campaign, and then of course later uh, all of your work on the Clinton campaign, uh, which ultimately led you into the White House, I got that experience too in an abridged way. Uh, But traveling the world and getting that opportunity to meet with folks who had great intentions, who were there to make every event we did, uh, as strong as it could be, made me realize one thing. What what happens behind the scenes needs to stay behind the scenes a little bit. There's no reason for people to know how much blood, sweat, and tears went into making it great. But when you get there and you have a great event and you serve the president or your candidate and you push communications to a point where it, it, it resonated with people, that it connected, That's a job well done and you just can't take that kind of fulfillment and that kind of uh, gratitude that you have for a team effort Away from any other job I've ever done.
0: the question for you: I mean, Chuck Chuck Todd talked to us earlier, Adam, about how at NBC News he's quite lucky. He's got the cable channel MSNBC. He's got the website uh, MSNBC.com. He now talked about some of the innovations that he's uh, he's going to bring to bear in this cycle. When you were producing at ABC, you had uh, Good Morning America. Um, world news tonight a little bit of nightline uh but it was all basically on one network and divided into sort of small snippets throughout the day how did you it but even as you applied the production techniques to those various outlets you were trying to make either your correspondent or the subjects look as good as possible or reflected as as they would in, a, in a, as true a way as possible how did you deal with the sort of uh uh, leap that you'd have to go from being an objective journalist to someone who is going to—and I talk about this pretty plainly on Polyoptics.com—an a a architect of persuasion.
1: It's a it's an excellent question, and and uh, it was one I think that my colleagues in the White House were worried that I wasn't going to be able to uh, to make, let alone as quickly as I needed to make it. Uh, but for me, um, persuasion is a uh, is is a second second nature. Uh, it, it's really about making compelling arguments and creating uh, visual uh, elements that will help support an argument. We, we essentially do that as television producers so often as you're trying to tell a story and make sure that even as you try and represent both sides, that the topic is one that resonates. And to be able to serve the President of the United States, for me, was not uh, so much a political. Uh, calling. I I mean, I'm clearly a Republican and somebody who voted twice for George W. Bush and has, to this day, the utmost respect uh, for our 43rd president. But to work on behalf of the United States of America and to be able to be out there preserving uh, presidential policies and, and trying to be a part of leadership in the world, it was something that just came naturally to, to be able to, with all of the fervor that you could muster, uh, to, to go and, and meet those responsibilities and goals. And thankfully, and I think you, you know this too, and again, you've written about this often at polyoptics.com, you're surrounded by people who are so selfless, who are not out there for uh, recognition, but are trying very hard to support The President of the United States, if that's George W. Bush or Bill Clinton, uh, even you and I uh, have come together to support uh, President Clinton uh, in some endeavors that he has done uh, in, in the wake of the earthquake in Haiti. I mean, for both of us, supporting a President of the United States is a labor of love.
0: Well, Adam. What we did in our first year the 39 episodes with thanks so much to our producer Catherine Caperton Um, I can't wait to continue on what we're going to be doing in 2012. I mean when I first Started at this I think in the middle of 2009 just saying look I've been out of the White House for about 10 years It's time to collect a lot of my war stories and ideas and the tricks of the trade of advance that I've picked up uh during my expansive time in politics and narrow that all into a 10-part series the story of polyoptics and then you picked up on it and we started to do this show uh we've really just scratched the surface
1: there are people uh who we know well friends uh colleagues mentors sources uh who we speak to all the time and they are the kind of folks who play such a vital role in American politics, especially American polyoptics, And I think that is our goal in 2012, is to continue to mine the depths of people that uh, this audience would hope to hear from and get to know a little bit and appreciate uh, all of the elements that go into our political gamesmanship and, and the theater of politics. And there's no better place to do it, I think you will agree, than POTUS. I mean, there just isn't a channel on the air today that's dedicated the way this one is to covering American politics and being able to peel back one layer at a time all of the behind the scenes and the context and the color that commercial radio and network and cable television often disregard.
0: That's right. I mean, Chuck talked a little bit about uh, what he's trying to do with some of their web properties. But as I drive around uh, and listen to Channel 124, POTUS, and I hear not only our show but all the other programming, and then I hear these live events, the raw feed, and I, I just become much, a much more active participant, and as do all the other listeners in the political process, if I'm getting more of it than just the two-and-a-half-minute package designed for the nightly news.
1: So, my admonition, my hope, my request to our audience as you stick with us and hopefully give us your suggestions, we've listened to you through 2011, we have included you in this show, is share your thoughts with us. Share your thoughts with POTUS. You can find us on Facebook at Polyoptics, POTUS Politics on Facebook as well. And as you get a chance to go back to polyoptics.com, where Josh has done some of the most interesting writing that I uh, have ever seen on the topic of polyoptics and the and the value that we add every week. Uh, it's a place for all of us, and we, we ask you to come join us, share your thoughts, and help us bring you the best show we possibly can. Uh, we're constantly seeking out uh, new folks to bring on this show, coordinating with Catherine Caperton, again, our producer, who is Josh, you should know, on her way in the coming week to New Hampshire so there will be part of the polyoptics team uh, reporting from up there uh, we, we do it for the only reason we could do it it's because it's who we are and what we love to do
0: couldn't have said it better myself adam if only i could put in a visual great to be with you as usual we
1: will see you next week here on potus this is polyoptics
0: United States for the people of the United States. This is POTUS, Sirius XM 124. POTUS, Sirius XM 124. Politics are behind all the major stories that affect our lives. Today, health insurance reform
1: becomes law in the United States of America. I don't
0: want this country turning into Russia, turning into a socialized country.
1: We're
2: dealing with a massive and potentially unprecedented environmental disaster. You got to pull into that marsh and see there is absolutely no life. Everything is dead. Immigration
0: reform is righteous, just, and possible. I do not know what an illegal immigrant looks like. When large complex companies do fail,
2: they will be shut down in a way that doesn't threaten the rest of our economy. Jobs, our economy. Jobs, 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 jobs,
0: jobs, jobs, and jobs. Even if we've turned the corner, we know it's a long way up before you're actually completely recovered. And on POTUS, we explore the people and the motivations behind the politics. Someone is deciding how your money will be spent, how your children will be educated. So what's the strategy here? I am absolutely terrified of this terrified. For, my for my kid. No commercials, no, commercials. no, no false controversy. controversy, no agenda. No agenda. We... Our POTUS POTUS The politics of the United States
2: for the people of the United States.